This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. On a personal note, I have to share with you how deeply moved I was hearing Rabbi Nissenbaum's presentation to Dr. Harris. I could see the deep-seated love of a Rebbe to a beloved student, and there's no doubt that the success that the JLC has had over the years comes from really a very unique genuineness that is exhibited by the Rabbonim. And it's something, this intangible quality that the Rabbonim of the JLC have that uh, is the secret ingredient of their endurance and their long-standing success. And my humble blessing is that let so many Jews be exposed to this beautiful Torah near Shemaim that they have to offer, and may they see many, many successful years of Harbatzas Torah and Nachas from their Talmidim, Abiyaz Gael Tzedek. Let's not kid ourselves, we're here at a Jewish fundraiser. And fundraising is a very important part of Jewish life. It's such a, f- a fundamental part of Jewish life that there was actually once a plane, and it was flying to New York, and it was scheduled to land on Monday afternoon, and all of a sudden there are technical difficulties and there's turbulence, and on the PA system, the pilot announces, we're experiencing technical difficulties, everybody stay calm, we're going to have to make an emergency landing. We've done this before, I think prayer is in order, and nobody wants to hear when they're on a plane from the pilot, prayer is in order. (laughs) If there are any rabbis on the plane, now it's time to do something religious. So the rabbi stood up, and he made a heartfelt appeal. (laughs) And then there were two guys stranded on a desert island. I just read this on the book in the guy's house that I'm staying that I don't know from a hole in the wall because my host had came down with COVID. But anyway, there were two guys stranded on a desert island, and they don't know how they're ever going to get off their ship. And uh, one of them is working hard. He figures he's going to be stuck there for Shabbos, and he starts building a hut, and he's preparing to be there for years and decades. And the other guy's just laying back in the hammock. And he says, how could you just sit around like today's any other day? We're never going to get out of here. He said, no, I'm not worried. So why are you not worried? He says, because I give money to my kids' school regularly, and tomorrow is their dinner. They'll be here soon. So this Shabbos, we're going to be reading Sefer Shemais, the book of Geula, the book of redemption, and we're going to be introduced to Moshe Rabbeinu. And there's a big question about Moshe Rabbeinu. Why do we call him Moshe Rabbeinu? This is the, do- this is the name that the daughter of the Pharaoh gave to Moshe. The daughter of the Pharaoh came down to the waters and they saw that this little boy was floating in the crib that his mother put him in. And the Torah says she stretched forth her arm and she drew him out of the water. Vatikra Shemai Moshe. She called him Moshe. Kimin Hamayim Mishisihu. Because she drew him forth from the water. But that wasn't his Jewish name. That wasn't the name given to him at his circumcision. That's not the name his mother called him. That's like Eric. Jeffrey, Kevin, Moshe had Jewish names. Avigdar, Yekusiel, Yehoinasam. These were names his mother gave him at his bris milah. And yet the Torah calls him 
by the name Moshe. Why is that? You know, Moshe is a typical Jewish son-in-law. He's working in his father-in-law's business, tending to the sheep in the desert, and he sees the bush that's burning. And our sages teach us that that bush was burning, burning, burning for a very long time. And a lot of people passed by that bush, and they noticed the bush burning. And everybody said, wow, that's so interesting that the bush is burning and it's not being consumed. And they went on their merry way. They went to the store, they went to their appointments, and nobody stopped to think and to analyze why the bush was not being consumed. But Moshe said, Asura na, va'eres hamara hagodol hazeh. Let me stop and think, why is the bush not being consumed? Let me turn aside for, for a minute. I know the market's still going, and the store is still open, and there's still business to attend to. But And the verse says, The Almighty saw that Moshe had turned to analyze, and he said, That's my man. That's the man I've been waiting for. I've been looking for a guy who's going to stop. And the Almighty called out to Moshe Rabbeinu from the burning bush. And he said, Moshe, Moshe. Why did God call him Moshe? He had Jewish names. Avigdar, Yekusiel, Yehoinasan. It's a big question. I have a friend named Ezra Gwertz. I used to be together with him in yeshiva. And he is the grandson of Rabbi Beryl Wine. And he gave me a clip of Rabbi Wine speaking at a family simcha. And he answered this question based on a little uh, episode, a story that happened to him. Rabbi Wine said that whenever he would go to Yerushalayim, he would go to Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum, a memorial of the six million Jews who perished at the Holocaust. And on one occasion he was told, you know, they have a new exhibit in the Holocaust Museum, they have a memorial for the 1.5 million Jewish children who were killed in the Holocaust. 1.5 million children under the age of 12. So there's a Jew in Beverly Hills. His name is Spiegel. Spiegel, they're Hungarian Jews, and about 70 years ago, he goes to Auschwitz with his wife and his kid, and 10 months later, he came out all alone. He comes to the United States, he went to Los Angeles. He became a very wealthy and successful entrepreneur. He bought a great degree of real estate. He has retail establishments. And he calls up Yad Vashem. He says, I want to make a memorial for my son, my five-year-old son. And he gives them $4.5 million to set up a memorial for his son, but not only for his son, for the 1.5 million Jew, uh, children who were murdered in the Holocaust. Since then, he's given over $10 million to complete it, to endow it. And Rabbi Wine goes down to this memorial with all his pre preconceived notions of what a children's memorial should look like. He figured there'll be pamphlets and posters and statistics and books. And when he got there, he was completely unprepared for what he would see. 
You walk into a room about eight or ten stories tall, 30 times the size of this room. And it's pitch black. It's palpably black. You can't even put one foot in front of the other. You could feel the darkness. And after a moment, after your eyes begin to adjust, you see in the middle of this immense darkness, there's one candle that's lit. And by reflections and mirrors, and by the genius of the architect, this one candle becomes a million pinpoints of light in the all-pervading darkness. So you see little specks of light in the immense chayshech, in the immense darkness. And there's a voice over it. There's a tape that plays. And the tape does nothing but recite names. Hillel Cohen, three years old, Vilna. Miriam Goldberg, seven years old, Sarajevo. Names, 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 until you can't bear it anymore. And you want to run out of the room and never come back. And Rabbi Wein said that he left the room with one thought. Hey, I didn't hear my name. My name wasn't on that tape. I'm of age. These children were my age. My name wasn't on the tape. And if my name wasn't on the tape and I'm still around, then I better do something. And I can't give up and I can't throw in the towel. And I can't go down in the darkness and say I can't accomplish if my name wasn't called. And then I thought to myself, that's why God referred to him as Moshe. Every time God called Moshe, he said, Hey, Moshe, I yanked you out of the Nile. I saved you from the crocodile and the asp and the tides. Hundreds and thousands of Jewish children were exterminated by the pharaohs. But you're still around. I yanked you out, Moshe. Let's get going. And Moshe has no choice. He says, Hineni, you got me. You got me. What do you want me to do? I'm ready. And when we study the long annals of Jewish history and the fact that we survived, that means God is calling out to each and every one of us. And God is saying to us, Moshe, Moshe, I yanked you out. I saved you. And we too in our generation, we too have to respond, Hineni. My beloved grandfather, who was a rabbi in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, for about 70 years, he survived all the infamous camps, Radom, Dachau, Auschwitz. And he records his personal memoirs about an episode that happened to him when he was in Dachau. And this is something that I live with every single day. My grandfather writes, From Radom we were transported to Dachau, the Emek Habacha, the Valley of Weeping, of the Germans' Malach Hamaves, killings every day, total humiliation in the eyes of the Germans, who derived the greatest pleasure and joy from the spectacle. 
I wasn't even going to mention this, but how can I not? My grandfather smuggled in a pair of tefillin into Radom. And every single morning at the crack of dawn, my grandfather put on his pair of tefillin, and then he gave it to his brother Hanach, and Hanach put on the pair of tefillin. There was a particularly brutal lagerfuhrer named Ficus. If he would have caught them, they would have been shot on the spot. Every morning, they put on the tefillin. They did not miss one morning in the entire camp. On one fateful morning, my grandfather finished putting on the tefillin, and he gave the tefillin to his brother, Hanach. And Hanach puts on the tefillin, Shalyad. And then Hanach puts on the tefillin, Shalroish. And just then, Ficus came in, and he saw the head tefillin perched on this tzaddik, and he picked up the pistol to shoot him in the head. But then when he looked again at the tefillin shalroish, he trembled in fear and awe. He put the gun down and he ran out. My grandfather said it was an open miracle. As the Gemara tells us, that when the nations of the world see the name of God rest on your head, they will be in awe of you. I heard this from my grandfather. I heard this from his brother who was the one who put on the tefillin. But then they were taken to Dachau. My dear brother Hanech and I were kicked and chased to the entrance to the gas chambers. At the doorstep of the base Hasrefa, moments, inches to the next world, where tens of thousands were choking and experiencing the most shocking convulsions, my brother told me, my grandfather writes, please can I have some water, otherwise I'm going to die of strangulation even before I get inside. And my grandfather said, you can't drink now. You're going to prolong your agony. We were mere inches away from the next world, and a heavenly miracle occurred. Standing there at the threshold of death, an SS officer appeared out of nowhere. He grabbed us by the hair, and he yanked us out of the gas chamber. This godly wonder will remain seared in our memories forever. And a very simple thought occurred to me. It wasn't only my grandfather who was saved from that gas chamber. Because the Shalom saved my father. And he saved me. And he saved my children. I don't know. I guess the Shalom wanted us. I guess he wanted us. And if you're here this evening in this room, the Shalom must have wanted you too. You know, people say, only if they would only witness a miracle, if only I could see the splitting of the sea, then I would really believe in God. Then I would know He exists. You want to see a miracle? Look at the face of another Jew in 2021. That is the greatest miracle you ever see. If only you knew how long the, the Almighty has been looking out for you. 3,300 years ago, we read now in Sefer Shemais, all of our ancestors were in, in Mitzrayim. 80% of the Jewish people did not make it out of Egypt, but your ancestors did because God wanted you to be here tonight. At the destruction of the first temple, the death toll was enormous, but your ancestors made it through so you could be here. Chorben Bayesheni, Josephus writes, 1.1 million Jews were massacred and then the Romans chased down every last Jew they could get a hold of. But your ancestors were saved. 
Thousands were massacred in the times of the Crusades. 1391, 200,000 Jews were forcibly baptized in Spain. 300,000 Jews were expelled in 1492. Tens of thousands were murdered. Chalmanitsky pogroms. God saved your ancestors from the crematoria and the gas chambers so that you could build Jewish families today. For a Jew to be here today, it's not highly improbable. It's not statistically unlikely. It's downright impossible. Rav Yaakov Emden writes in the introduction to his Siddur, how can the heretic not be utterly ashamed? Analyzing the state of the Jewish people today. We, the exiled people, the scattered sheep, despite everything that we've under, endured for thousands of years, says Rabbi Yaakov Emden, I swear. I swear, ki godla etzli yoiser mikol nisim sha'asa hakadosh baruchu b'mitzrayim. I swear, and the Chassam Soifer says Rabbi Yaakov Emden was a prophet. He was a navi. The Chassam Soifer writes. Rabbi Yaakov Emden writes. He swears that the miracle of Jewish survival is much greater than all the miracles that God performed for the Jewish people in Egypt. The Jews who left Egypt and saw the splitting of the sea, you know what they say? If only we would see a great miracle, the likes of which the Jews in 2021 are privy to. That's what they would say. And Rav Yaakov Emden wrote this 200 years ago. What would he say if he saw a Jew alive today? He would say it's a nes she'en called malach uberia yecholim l'sha'er. And therefore God is speaking to us. And if we have the privilege to be here and to participate in the rebuilding and the continuous success of the Jewish people, God's calling to us. He's saying, Moshe, Moshe, I yank you out a couple of times over the last 2,000 years. What are you going to do about it? And there's only one word we could answer. Hineni. You got us. Here we are. In 1946, Rabbi Wine was 11 years old, and he likes to tell the story how his father told him, Beryl, we're going to the airport, we're going to Chicago Midway Airport. A great rabbi is coming to visit our community, Rabbi Isaac Halevi Herzog, the first rabbi of Palestine after World War II. He was a great tzaddik, who, by the way, my grandfather knew very well. He met him in the DP camps after the war. And my grandfather heard this same story from Rabbi Herzog's mouth, and I read the same story in my grandfather's memoirs. Rabbi Herzog was a very majestic personality. He wore a shiny top hat. He held a cane and his Tanakh in the other hand. And he comes down from the plane, and he's escorted by all the Rabbonim, Balabatim, and basically all the Yeshiva Bachrim of the Midwest. Some 200 boys 1946, and Rav gave a 45-minute lecture in Yiddish. And after that, he said he wants to speak to the young men, to the Bachram in English. Rav was a rabbi in Dublin. 
was well-disciplined in all mathematics, science, bio, history, even though he never attended college even for one day. He was homeschooled. He spoke with a little bit of an Irish brogue, and he said, I just returned from Rome, where I had a private audience with the Pope. Pope Pius XII, Pope Pius, Lushan Sagi Nahar. And I had with me the names of 10,000 Jewish boys and girls, many of which their parents placed them in monasteries with Christian families because they didn't think that they would survive and this was the only way to save their children. And I said, Pope, these are our children. You know these are Jewish children. We only gave them to you because we needed to keep our kids alive. Give us back our children. You're kidnapping them from us. And the Pope slammed the door on Rav Herzog's face. He said, all these children have been baptized. Our religion states that once someone enters the fold, they can never be released. And the meeting was over. I can't even give you one child. And Rav Herzog was standing in the room with the 200 boys, the yeshiva bachrim of the Midwest, And Rav Herzog was so overcome with emotion, he put his head down on the lectern and he cried like a child. Rabbi Wein says it was the most frightening experience of his entire life to see such an aristocratic personality break down crying like that. And then Rav Herzog rears his majestic face and he's beaming red like a lion and he said, there's nothing I could do for these 10,000 children. But boys... What are you going to do for the future of the Jewish people? And then Rabbi Wein said, all the boys lined up and they shook Rabbi Herzog's hand. And Rabbi Herzog looked each and one, every one of us in the eye. And he said, did you hear what I said? What are you going to do for the future of the Jewish people? And every time I want to throw in the towel, Rabbi Wein writes, and every time I'm discouraged, and every time I'm disheartened, Rav Herzog's cry rings in my ears. What are you going to do for the future of the Jewish people? And that's a question we all have to ask ourselves. Here we are. We're all survivors. The Rebbe Shem has yanked us out of the Nile a time or two. The Rebbe Shem is calling out to us, Moshe, Moshe, what are you going to do with yourself? What are you going to do to rebuild the Jewish people? But here's the good news. In 1944, there was a rabbinic convention in Zichrein Moshe and Yushalayim. The situation in the world at large was, as they say in French, shreklach. It was impossible. The yeshiva world, the Jewish communities of Europe, had, had been utterly decimated. There had been no funding coming into the yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael. America had been closed off from Eretz Yisrael. The funding from England was no longer sufficient. Hitler's army was primed to invade Eretz Yisrael. They would take over the country, destroy the entire country in 11 days. You know, the Arabs were already playing on the radio. Jews! We're going to slit your throats, violate your wives, kill your children, and bathe in your blood. They broadcast this on the radio. There were, there were flags in every window welcoming Hitler. 
and a miracle happened in the last moment with Rommel and, and the water pipe, and they never made it in. And the Rabbanim didn't know what to do. He had Reb Zalman Sarotsky and Reb Isaac Sher, and they convened a meeting of all the concerned Rabbanim and Yeshiva Bachram in Eretz Yisrael. And there weren't that many Yeshiva Bachram in Eretz Yisrael in 1944. And you could feel the tension in the air, the anxiety in the air, and there was an eyewitness at this meeting, Reb Shloyma Hafman, who records what transpired at this meeting. And Reb Zalman Sarotsky got up to speak. He said, Raboisai, the Torah is in Sakana. And everyone burst out crying. And the Panovich Arav, Rabbi Yosef Shleimah Kahanaman, had just come to Eretz Yisrael. Nobody even had heard him speak before. And he stood at the bima. His face was beaming. He was radiating Simcha de Kedusha. And he said, Rabbi Yisai, I hear the voice of despair in the air of the impending destruction of the Torah. Can we please remind ourselves that God made a covenant with our people? The Torah will never be forgotten. Do you know what kind of opportunity we have? Do you understand that if the situation is bleak, that means that this generation will be eligible to the greatest siyata, the Shemaya in history? Get up! Strengthen yourselves! Do something! And the Rebbe Hashem will bless your efforts. And Rabbi Hoffman, who was there at the meeting, he said somehow the whole cloud lifted. He changed the atmosphere in the room, in the whole country. They recognized that, yes, it's a difficult situation, but the Rebbe Hashem is going to give them siyata Rishmaya. You know, my grandfather wrote that there was only one thing Hitler was right about. My grandfather in the death camps, he would sit, he would say to Hillem, and they would beat him over the head. I heard from an eyewitness, from a man, Mayor Lachman, that he would, my grandfather would say to Hillem, the Nazi would come, club him over the head, he would fall unconscious, and when he would wake up, he would get up and continue praying. And the Nazi would tell my grandfather, Rabbi, what are you praying for? We're going to destroy the Jews of Europe. We're going to wipe them out. The Arabs will destroy the Jews of Palestine. And the Jews of America? (laughs) The Jews of America will take care of themselves. Some Jews survived Europe. The Jews of Israel survived. What they were most correct about is a very difficult state of Judaism in America today. Seven out of every ten chasanas that take place in the United States of America are an intermarriage today. What are you going to do to rebuild the Jewish people? That's why you've come tonight to show your support to the JLC. But there is no end of what we could all do and accomplish to, to strengthen ourselves Strengthen our families and strengthen our, all of Klal Yisrael. If we give it our best shot and we have in mind, what can I do to help? What, what organization could I support? Who could I contact? Who could I learn with? Who could I share Torah with? If we all give it our best shot, 
then HaKadosh Baruch Hu will give us all great siyata d'shmaya. L'roimim karen Yisrael, to uplift the glory of the Jewish people. L'roimim karen ha to uplift the glory of the Torah. L'hagdil Torah l'adira. And tonight is Matzoi Shabbos, so we have a halacha, we have to speak about Eliyahu Hanavi. So we're all mispalel in the merit of our coming together this evening to show respect to this worthy organization in Klal Yisrael. We are mispalel. Yavoy Eliyahu, vivaser lanu, besoyrois, toivois, yeshuois, venechamois, bebias goel tzedek, bimher v'yaminu, amen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.